In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We ask you now, O God, to use and rule over our thoughts and our words, so that it may be your word which is spoken and your word which is heard. Amen. In the mid-third century, so the, uh, or fourth century, so the mid-300s, there was a bishop in a town in northern Italy called Fortunatianus of Aquileia. And I bring him up because Fortunatianus of Aquileia was the oldest Latin father that we know of, father of the church, who wrote a commentary on the Gospels. And this commentary was somewhat influential in the early church. St. Jerome quotes from it, a couple of other writers quote from it. But then it was lost. So all we had were these quotes in other people's writings. The Latin father of the church writing a commentary on the Gospels. What we didn't know was that it was hiding in plain sight. Because there was a 9th century manuscript in the library at the Cathedral of Cologne, which was the court, uh, the court of Charlemagne, had a number of manuscripts, and the scholars, though, who were studying them were scholars of the court of Charlemagne. They weren't scripture scholars or patristic scholars, and so they had tagged this particular manuscript is just another one of these many Carolingian 9th century commentaries on scripture. Sure, put it aside. Fast forward to the last decade or so, and now we're in the 21st century, and so uh, the Cathedral Library at Cologne is, was busy on a project of scanning and digitizing their library. And now suddenly, on the internet, these documents that before the only people who really had access to them were people who had an interest in, you know, the court of Charlemagne, suddenly scholars from other fields of study are having access to these documents. And someone noticed, this is a ninth century manuscript, but every single scripture quotation is from a time before St. Jerome. And so, the manuscript may be 9th century, but the text is really, really old. And so we thought, well, let's see if we can link, you know, match this up with something and see, you know, if we can get some clue as to who wrote this. And lo and behold, it matched up with these quotations that had survived in other people's writings. This was the long-lost manuscript of the commentary on the Gospels by Fortunatianus of Aquileia. It was just published in 2012. Now, why do I talk about this? Well, because I think it's really cool. <laughs> I mean, that we've had an, an early church father restored to us that we, had, that we thought was lost. But also, he had a rather interesting take on this gospel that we've just read. You know, the scripture is so incredibly rich at every level. There's the surface level of the gospel, and there's a great deal of depth in that surface alone. But underneath it, there are layers and layers and layers of meaning to be unpacked. And so, Fortunatianus of Aquileia, is, you know, in looking at this particular passage, draws out something I'd never seen before. What does John the Baptist say? John the Baptist says, I am not worthy uh, to carry his sandals, and in the other Gospels, he says, I am not worthy to unloose the strap of his shoes. 
And the surface meaning of that is pretty clear. You know, uh, I am, I am, you know, the people are gathering around, coming to John the Baptist and saying in expectation, are you the Messiah? Are you the one that was to come? And John the Baptist says, says, no, I'm not that one. In fact, I am so unworthy. He's speaking with great humility here. I am so unworthy that I am so far beneath him that I am not even worthy to perform the most menial task of the lowest house slave in taking off his shoes. That's the surface meaning, and there's a great deal of depth even in that very surface meaning. But Fortunatianus of Aquileia pulls out something else. Remember, the people who would have heard John the Baptist preach, who would have heard our Lord preach, who would have read the Gospels, were the original target audience of the Gospels, would have been steeped in Scripture. And so when a popular preacher like John the Baptist would be saying something, his hearers would hear that, certainly, but there would be this undertext that they would also hear. And so Fortunatianus of Aquileia says the undertext here is the story of Ruth in the Old Testament. Remember the story of Ruth. Ruth is this young widow, destitute immigrant. She's not even an Israelite. And she's in Bethlehem, and she's living hand to mouth. And Boaz, who is a rich relative of her deceased husband, he takes her under his protection. In fact, he seeks to marry her. And the technical term for this in the Jewish law was to be her goel, to be her kinsman redeemer. But, of course, you know the story, there's a hitch. Because there's another relative who has a prior claim. And so Boaz needs to go to this other relative to get him to yield his claim so that Boaz can be the kinsman redeemer and marry Ruth. And there's a ceremony in the book of Ruth that was accomplished in order to pass his claim and signify that he's passing his claim on to Boaz. This other cousin removes his shoe in front of witnesses and hands it to Boaz to show that he's handing over his claim to his cousin. And Fortunatianus of Aquileia says this is part of what John the Baptist is hinting at. He's saying, I am not the bridegroom. I am not the one who is to come, even though he is my cousin. Because remember, John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin in the Gospels. I am not the bridegroom. I am not the goel. I am not the kinsman redeemer. Someone has a prior claim to me. And what's so striking here, and I think that the Fortunatianus of Aquileia is dead right here when he talks about the story of Ruth, because what some of the images he uses of, of uh, uh, winnowing fans and threshing floors, and of course that's what's going on in the book of Ruth. That's where Boaz, it's on his own threshing floor that he tells Ruth, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go and, 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 uh, and, and make this arrangement with the other guy who's got the prior claim. So, what is hidden in this little passage about the coming of the Messiah, the first coming of Christ, and the coming of the Messiah at the end of the world, what's hidden in this passage is a nuptial, a wedding meaning. Advent is a time of expectation, a time of preparation, but 
you know, it's much more than just that busy time of getting all our Christmas shopping done and, you know, decorating the house and doing the baking and whatever else we have to do to get ready for the holiday because it's really not ultimately about preparing for a holiday that's coming up in a couple of weeks. It should be about preparing our hearts for the coming to each of us of our soul's bridegroom. Advent is like an engagement. And so that's why I think the analogy is so very, very apt here. Think back, those of you who are married, think back to your own engagement, right? You've got, it's so easy to get caught up in all the busy work and the preparation, right? And all the, all the logistics of planning this big day with, you know, renting the hall and renting the tuxes and buying the dress and getting the cake and you know, all this stuff. And to be so focused on the logistics of the wedding and forget and neglect to focus on the spiritual preparation for the marriage. I sometimes wonder, you know, if, if, if we would do a study about, if, see if there's an inverse relationship between the expenditure of money that's dumped on planning a wedding with the chance of success of the actual marriage. Because if you're focused on on planning the wedding day and not focused on the marriage, it's the marriage that you're preparing for. It's the marriage that matters. And that brings us back to Scripture again. The Bible ends. The last book in the Bible is the book of Revelation. And how does it end? It ends with a wedding. It ends with the wedding supper of the Lamb. And these words are said, Blessed are those who are called to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Those words sound familiar to you? We'll hear them in our liturgy, though we drop the word wedding from it. But in this Eucharist, we have a foretaste of what, please God, will be our eternal, unending marriage with our soul's bridegroom in all eternity. Heaven is our goal. When our souls will be united with our true bridegroom, who in order to become our redeemer, in order to become our goel, to use that Hebrew word, he had to become our kinsman. Because you can't be a kinsman redeemer without being a kinsman. He had to become our kinsman, taking on our human nature in his incarnation. And so let's use this time of preparation, this Advent right now, but this Advent that is our life here on earth. Let's use this time of preparation to let his winnowing fans sweep that chaff out of our lives, that useless trash that clutters up our lives and distracts us from the true ultimate goal, which is that union with him. Let us let him purify us from all the habits and preoccupations that so easily get in the way, burning them up in the fire of his burning love. Let him purify us, prepare us for that great feast and eternal marriage in heaven that this Advent is a foretaste and preparation for. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.